All right, you can turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans 9 through 11 is a famous section of scripture. Paul has spent eight chapters of the book talking about lots of theology, lots of what it means to be to 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 become a Christian, the, the righteousness that God offers to give people, and he spends a lot of time on that. But then when he gets to chapters 9 through 12, he pauses because there's a question that's floating around all over the place that's still floating around today that he feels he just he has to deal with. If God made all these promises and was working through a special people in the Old Testament, what about those people now? Because most of them don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, what about Israel? And so in Romans 9, chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul addresses the question, because there's questions out there. There's still questions today. People, uh, people have strong opinions about what is God doing with Israel. Um, uh, uh, church denominations have, have split over the issue. People leave churches because of disagreements about the issue. So it's an important issue. It's so important Paul decided to spend three chapters talking about it. So in chapter 9, Paul spent most of his time defending God, like uh, accusations that God isn't fair, that he's cruel, that if God decides what happens, then, who are, then Israel can't be blamed. No one can be blamed. We're just sort of puppets in God's hands. And Paul spent his time in chapter 9 saying, that's not true. That is ridiculous. Uh, but he did emphasize that God's the one who's in charge. He said uh, God will have mercy on who he wants to have mercy, and he'll harden the hearts of those he wants. And uh, we're the clay, and he's the potter. Uh, the, the potter can do with the clay what he wants. And by itself, that might seem sort of um, harsh. Um, but here in chapter 10, after spending all this time sort of looking behind the divine curtain to see there's a whole bunch of stuff going on uh, that, that God is in charge of that we don't see out here, he ended chapter 9 by saying, in the end, you want to know why Israel isn't, isn't, uh, isn't saved? Do you want to know why Israel doesn't believe that Jesus is, isn't, uh, that Jesus is their Messiah? Because they're pursuing uh, faith by works. They're pursuing righteousness by works. They're wrong. That's why they don't believe it. They're, they're trying to get salvation the wrong way. And in chapter 10, he's going to spend all of his time talking about what Israel has got wrong. So it's not God decides and it sucks to be you if you're not in, in the, you know, if, you don't, if you're not picked for the basketball team in the middle school gym, it sucks to be you. It's, it's not that. God does decide what happens. But yet, this entire chapter, Paul spends his time explaining Israel's responsibility. They had the message. They didn't listen to it. They're wrong. That's why Israel doesn't believe. Chapter 11 is next week which is, uh, if this is a topic that really interests you, chapter 11 is where, is where uh, the action is. So you'll have to wait for that. But chapter 10, this is the problem Paul's talking about. And I'm going to try and make this practical for us today, too. There are plenty of people like Israel who are zealous for God, passionate about God, want to do things for God. Paul was passionate about God when he was going around arresting people and hauling them off to prison and seeing them executed in Acts chapter, chapter 9. So there are plenty of people who are really zealous for God, but their zeal is based on bad information. They have wrong ideas about God, so they're all passionate and zealous and even fanatical about God, but they're wrong about everything, so I don't, they're pursuing nothing. They're going the wrong way. That's the title of the sermon, going the wrong way. They don't know God at all. 
And the problem that Paul highlights is, um, how do you, has God given us his message or not? Has God given us what we need to know or not? Is, uh, if he has, where is it? If we want to know, how do we become right with God? Is it something we need to seek out, burrow into the earth to find? Is it some secret mystery we have to try and intuit from, from somewhere? Or is there really no mystery at all? Has God told us what we need to know? And it's simply a matter of us paying heed to it. How do we know how we can be right with God? Has he left us to figure it out on our own? Or has he given us the information that, uh, that we need? So Paul is going to talk about uh, this in Romans chapter 10. He's gonna, the passage breaks up into three sections. The first section in verses 1 through 5, he's going to explain that Israel is really passionate, but they're clueless. Um, they have a zeal for the Lord, but not according to knowledge. Verses 5 to 13, Paul's going to talk about, you know, should Israel be clueless? Do they have the information they need? He's going to quote only from the Old Testament, tons of quotations from the Old Testament to prove that they should have known how to be right with God. They have the message. They have all the light that they need. They have everything they need. They're just not listening to it. In the last section, verses 14 to 21, he's going to conclude and basically say, Israel isn't saved because they don't want to be saved. They've chosen to ignore God. So he's turned, temporarily he's turned, to offer salvation to tons of other people, people like you and me who aren't Jewish, who come from Tacoma or Tonino or Rochester or, or from, from Prescott, Arizona, from wherever. He's offering salvation to other people, to people who aren't part of his family, but whom he's going to make part of his family instead. And in chapter 11, he'll answer the question, so does that mean God's done with Israel? It's over? It was great while it lasted, but divorce is final, so I'll see you next time I see you. That's chapter 11, and we'll talk about that there. But we're going to talk about um, this problem. Plenty of people are zealous for God. They think they're fine. They think they're looking for God. They think they're even doing what God wants, like Paul did. But their zeal is based on bad information. So I don't know what they're pursuing, but they're not actually pursuing God. So has God given us what we need to find him, to know him? Or are we just supposed to figure it out? On our own. So let's pray and then we'll dive into Romans chapter 10 verses, uh, well, Romans chapter 10. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Help us to know you more. Help us to love you. Help us to always, um, to always make sure we are trusting in the righteousness that you give us and never in our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So he starts off like he did in chapter 9. He says, I really wish that Israel would be saved. He is this passionate desire for people that, that look just like him, for his own people to be saved. But there's a problem. What's the problem? He says, I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. They're passionate for God. They want to, they want to know who God is. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. They have the wrong they have the wrong information. They have the wrong idea. Their zeal is not based on, how do, we, how do we find, where do we find this knowledge that God has given us that tells us who he is? Where has God told us who he is? How can we know who he is? It's by a combination of 
the word, his message, the Bible, plus the Holy Spirit in community with other believers. Word, spirit, community. That's the way Christians have always known who God is. We have the word, we have the Bible that God has given us. He's given us a message. He's preserved it, so we have it. You can look at it on your phone, your tablet, your computer. A, a, heaven forbid, a physical Bible. You know, you can, you can look at it. And then you have the Holy Spirit who helps you understand it, who enables you to understand it. And then, so it's not you and your Bible in the Holy Spirit. You, whenever you're by yourself, you become, you think weird things if you're always by yourself all the time. So you need other, you need to be around other people to temper your weirdness. Uh, so we can learn from one another. The Holy Spirit indwells all of God's people. Word, spirit, community. Word, spirit, community. That's how we get knowledge about God. The Bible, the Holy Spirit, and community. Their zeal's not based on knowledge. They're really passionate, but they're, they don't know anything. They're going after the wrong thing the wrong way. The right thing the wrong way, I should say. He says, since they did not know the righteousness of God, or the righteousness from God, and they sought to establish their own, and that's the key, they sought to establish their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. So this is what I've said before about this idea of resumeism. We like to think, uh, we naturally want to think of our relationship with God in the sense of, this is what I bring to the table, this is why I deserve to get in. Even the joke about St. Peter at the pearly gates and you have to explain why you deserve to be in heaven, that's garbage. We don't, we, don't, we don't go to an interview panel to see if we're good enough to get into heaven. That's what we do when we do our resumes and when we do job interviews. So for instance, there is a job open right now for Washington State for the Office of Independent Investigations. This is an agency the governor created to investigate officer-involved shootings. So in the Lakewood Police Department, uh, kills a suspect in the course of an arrest. Instead of Lakewood or the Pierce County Task Sheriff's Office Task Force investigating, they take it out of that jurisdiction and give it to an independent agency to investigate impartially. And here's the requirements to be one of their, uh, one of their investigators to investigate officer-involved shootings. So if I wanted to apply for this, and I'm, I don't want to apply for it, by the way, because it's, it's not a civil service position, um, this is the stuff that they want. You need to, where's the duties and responsibilities? Ah, three plus years experience in a field related to investigations, criminal justice, blah, blah, blah. I could look at this and I could say, got it, I can do that. Practical experience operating within a state's laws, policies, procedures, got it. So I'm going, you, you, look, at the, you look at the job and you're like, I can do that, I meet that. I meet that, I meet that. Applicable, applicable, applicable experience managing a caseload, prioritizing, prioritizing cases and overseeing multiple long-term assignments, blah, blah, blah. Got it. Uh, working knowledge of the rules of evidence, chain of custody, yeah, got it. I, so I'm, you go through this, that's what, we, that's what the Israelites, and that's what so many people want to do with God. I do this, I do this, I do this, I meet this box, that, I'm, I'm qualified. I'm qual I deserve, I have as good a chance as anybody of getting 
in with God because I do, I do these things. Then, then there's the, the desired qualifications at the bottom, which is probably too small for you to read. So you have the, the um, required, like the bare minimum, and then the, the stuff they really want that makes you extra cool. Experience leading a team, done. I'm still, I'm still looking good. Working knowledge of relevant legislation, regulations, and experience. You can finesse that. I can make it work. That's fine. Uh, number three, ability to demonstrate strong interpersonal skills, including sensitivity, empathy. Done. I'm the most empathetic guy who ever lived. <laughs> what is that about? Anyway, uh, uh, I can make it work on a resume. That's what I, even if it's not quite true, you can strategically emphasize things to look, you wouldn't lie, but you will emphasize things strategically and the resume will look good. You'll hopefully get the interview and it's, uh, it's really great. So you can do all of this stuff and try and look good so you can get the job. God is not interested in resumeism, but that's what Israel has done. Since they didn't know the righteousness of God, which is a gift that he's offering, he's saying, listen, you can't be good enough. Jesus has been good for you. If you believe in Jesus, he'll give you his righteousness. You don't have to, you can throw your resume away. I don't want your resume. Your resume is not good enough. You do not meet the qualifications. Jesus has met them for you. But instead of trusting in the righteousness of God, they sought to establish their own. They want to do the resume. They want to submit the thing. They want to explain why they meet all the required and desired qualifications. And the result of that kind of idea of relationship with God is pride. You apply for a job and you don't get the job. And you're like, I should have got that job. I deserve to get that. I met everything they wanted. Why didn't they give me the job? Or you know someone who did get the job and you think, that person's a fool. It doesn't deserve the job. I'm better than that person. Uh, I know my job better. Um, or you do get the job and you're like, I did it. I did it. They recognized that I was the best candidate and I got it outstanding. And it's this either I should have gotten it because I'm good enough or I'm, I got it because I am good enough. That's what it's like with a job. There's nothing you know, sinful or wrong about having that attitude about a job that you want, that you apply for. Uh, but when you take that and you transfer it over to your relationship with God and you seek to establish your own righteousness, then you have a terrible problem because that's not the way God works. But that's what Israel's done. That's what Paul says. That's what the problem is. He says in verse 2, you know, I'm t I can testify. I, I can sit here and I can tell you this is the problem. They're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. They don't know the righteousness of God that he's offering as a gift. So instead, they're trying to establish their own so they don't submit to God's righteousness. You submit to God's righteousness, to the gift that he's offering, by, I keep doing this to Janet's little notes, but uh, this is what you do. You're supposed to take, you're supposed to take your resume and say, realize it's not gonna be good enough. No matter what I do, it's not gonna be good enough. But someone's already been good enough for me. So you submit to God's righteousness by looking at Jesus, looking at your resume and saying, I don't need it. I don't need my righteousness, mine's not good enough. Jesus is is good enough. And so he says, in the end, he says in verse 4, maybe, verse 4? Verse 4? Verse 4? Where's verse 4? Come on. Oh, hold on. 
There it is. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. They're using the law as a vehicle to, if I do all the things right, if I do all the things better than other people, if I do all the things good enough, then I'm in. If I follow all the things Moses said good enough, then I'm in. Instead, they didn't realize that Christ is the purpose of the law. Christ is, the law was teaching us to look for someone who'd be perfect for us. The law taught us that we're not good enough. And it's never been a way of salvation. It's just been a way to keep us in line until Christ would come to rescue us. It's never been a way of salvation. This is what they don't understand. Christ was the point, the purpose, the, the goal of the law. The law teaches us to look for a permanent solution. And when Jesus comes, we're happy and we want him to rescue us. But they didn't realize that. They made a mistake. They tried to establish their own righteousness. So now, Paul's going to talk about should they have made that mistake? Should they have made that mistake? What does the Old Testament say about getting this righteousness that God is offering? Do you get it by working really hard or you get it by trusting in God's promise? Which way is it? Which one do you do? So he says in verses 5 to 13, Moses writes this about righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. Quoting from, uh, quoting from Leviticus, chapter, uh, Leviticus chapter 18. But the righteousness that is by faith says, and there's a whole bunch of quotations from Deuteronomy 30 verses 11 to 14 that he throws in there. So this is, this, this is what the quotations are about. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, it's almost the end of the book. I love the book of Deuteronomy. I know some people don't agree, but I love Deuteronomy. It's all, the whole thing's a sermon to the Israelites as they're about ready to cross the Jordan River and go into the Promised Land. A sermon about this is how you love God. This is how you know God. Make sure you do this. Don't do that. Like a final instructions before they're released you know, into the, into the wild, so to speak. And in Deuteronomy 30, Moses is wrapping up and he tells them essentially, and you can read it yourself, Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 to 14. Moses says, guys, listen, um, the stuff I'm telling you, all the stuff I've told you, this isn't hard. It isn't difficult. You don't need to go up to try and uh, you know, build a ladder to heaven to find this mystical answer on how to know God. You don't need to go up to heaven to find out how to know God. You don't need to cross oceans to find the answer in some far off land from someone. He says, uh, you have the answer. I've told you the answer. God has revealed the answer to you. It's in your heart. It's in your mouth. It's, it's you have everything that you need. And that's what these, these quotes are about. The righteousness by faith uh, says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. You know, how, uh, who, who's going to go to heaven to find this, this answer so we can know how to know God? You know how to know God. God's told, Mo, Moses says, God's told us already how to know him and what he wants from us. There's no mystery here. Or, who will ascend into, into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does it say? It says the word, this is quoting from Moses, the word is near you, it's in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith we proclaim. So what Paul is saying here is that Moses knew that salvation isn't about your resume, writing down all the ways you 
you meet all the qualifications. Uh, there's no mystery about how to know God. Um, it's just by faith. The righteousness by faith says this. The word is the message from God. The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. It's in everything Moses has already told them. From like from Deuteronomy 6, to love you the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, might, and strength. He's already told them how they can know who God is. There's no mystery here. And so Paul, when Paul quotes this, what Paul is saying is, um, should Israel have been confused about how to know God? And Paul says, No. They have everything, they have everything that they need. They have everything that they need to know who God is. They have the prophets, they have um, the, 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 the Bible, they have the covenants, they have the promises, they're descended from Abraham. They have everything that they need, and yet they still somehow missed it. Verse 9, he he's, takes what Moses said and he applies it to Jesus. In verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what he's saying. It's, uh, there's no mystery here. They know what they're supposed to do. They have all the promises. They have all the prophets. They have the entire old covenant. They have everything they could possibly. The message is there. It, it's ready to be, to be taken. And he quotes from... Um, he quotes from two places. He quotes from Isaiah chapter, chapter 28, verse 16 and verse 11. He says, as the scripture says, anyone who believes in him, I think we need to replace the battery in this thing. Hold on. Turn it on, then turn it off. That always works. There it is. Uh, as scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. So he's quoting from Isaiah. Did Isaiah said, anyone who submits the best resume and does all the right things and everything will never be put to shame? Is that what Isaiah said? Isaiah said, anyone who believes in him, who trusts in him, will never be put to shame. That's what you need to be part of God's family. Trust in him and his message. Not try and establish your own righteousness. Trust in him and his message. For there, verse 12, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. And Peter will richly bless me if he gets me another battery. Peter, you give me two more batteries, AAA batteries from the drawer up there that Kaylee can help you find. For there is no difference, verse 12, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what Joel said. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There are AAA. There should be some in there. Well, that's unacceptable. Let's see. Oh, well. Um, you can turn off. Okay, you can move it too. I'll do the next slide thing, which I always hate. All right, uh, that's the one. Okay, the point that Paul's making is this. Uh, the Old Testament teaches that uh, you have to believe God's promise. That's what you do. There's no resume. There's no, this is why I'm good enough. You just believe in God's promise. That's what you need to do, but the Israelites have missed all that. They're trying to establish their own righteousness, their own righteousness instead. 
That's probably why the people in the synagogue hated him so much, because he went around all the synagogues and he tried to not argue, but he tried to reason with them from the scriptures about why Jesus was the Messiah, and they always became very angry with him. And he probably did stuff just like this, where he said, Isaiah said, you just had to, anyone who believes, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. So what about all this, I have to do these 20 things in order to earn salvation? And they probably got very mad. And then he probably quoted Joel, and he said, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And they probably got mad there. So this is probably exactly what Paul did when he ran, went around to all the synagogues. So, next slide. Um, the next one. Paul, this is a famous part of scripture. Paul says, the problem is, is that they have the message, they just don't want to listen to it. They don't want to listen to it. Verses 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? So what Paul says is really simple. He says, missionaries have to go out so the people can hear, so they can believe, so they can call out to Jesus for salvation. That's great. That's happened, and Israel just still doesn't believe anyway. In verses 16 to 21, Israel doesn't believe, they don't want to hear, and they don't want to understand. The next one, please. It says, but not all the, not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah said, oh, we can go to the next one. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? In Isaiah 53, the guy who wrote Isaiah 53 said he thought that a lot of people wouldn't believe him. So it's not a new thing for people to not believe God's message. The second thing in verse 18, but I asked, did they not hear? Of course they did. And he quotes from Psalm 19, how God can be known by just creation itself. The third one he quotes, he says in verse 19, again I ask, did Israel not understand? And he quotes, he quotes three passages. The first one is from Deuteronomy 32, where he talks about how Israel did under, Israel knew who God was, they just didn't listen. So in Deuteronomy 32, God told them, I'm gonna, there's, there's gonna come a time and I'm gonna pivot from you and just give my, offer my message to other people on a huge scale. I'm going to turn away from you and just offer my message to other people. I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I'll make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And the next one, and Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. This promise that outsiders one day are going to come to him when the people who should know more are going to totally ignore him and not care about what he has to say. But, verse 21, concerning Israel, he says, All day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. There's a lot of, um, Paul's, hard to, Paul's hard to preach. He's better to talk about around a table. But all of these quotations are, his point is that Israel knows. They know the truth. They just don't listen. They know who God is. They just don't want him. They know that Salvation is about trusting in his message, not about doing things, but they're trying to establish their own righteousness anyway. God makes his message available, but Israel has just chosen not to listen to him. 
They're pursuing it by works. They have zeal, but it's based on wrong information. And the message is here. It's there. They just have to pick it up and do something with it. They're supposed to toss away their resume, turn to Jesus, trust that he's already been good enough for them. He's already suffered for their crimes against God's law. He's already defeated Satan for them. But instead, they don't believe, they can't hear the truth, and they don't want to understand. So God says in these last quotations, the time's coming when I'll just open it up to everyone on a huge scale, which is why if you're not a Jewish person, that's why you're here today and you, if you believe in Jesus. In the next chapter, he's going to talk about, well, where does that leave Israel now? But this is the point. We can go to the next, uh, the next slide. The problem, uh, the next one, there, that's the one. Um, the problem that we saw at the beginning is that plenty of people like Israel are really zealous for God, but their zeal is based on bad information. They're trying to go after God the wrong way, and they're not going to find him. The solution the passage teaches us, the lesson learned that Paul is explaining to the people in Rome and to us is that there is no excuse for, for resumeism, for us trying to establish our own righteousness or our own credentials to, to present to God. He's already given us the message. He already gave Israel the message. Paul doesn't say, if only Israel had known the truth, if only some really amazing person had just come along and could explain it to them. He doesn't say that. He says, they knew it, they just didn't listen. They didn't want to listen. That's why Israel doesn't believe. That's why anyone doesn't believe. Because the word is known, it's there, the message is out there, the message is available. He's already given us his message. There's no need to wonder. It's known. It's available. It's written down. It's here. There's no required and desired qualifications you need to show that you meet. There is only accepting the gift that God is offering. He offers to give you his righteousness, his son's resume, not yours, but his son's, because your resume isn't ever going to be good enough. There is only trusting in Jesus's message in your heart, publicly confessing that Jesus is Lord, and then you'll be saved. And Paul ends the chapter by basically saying, Israel hasn't done that. They're going the wrong way. They're trusting in the resume instead of the gift that God is offering. That's why they're not saved. Chapter 9, all this stuff about what God's doing and all this behind-the-curtain stuff, all of this talk about God can have mercy on the people he wants, and he can let, people, let the people he wants go. How can the clay talk back to the potter? Um, all of this stuff from God's perspective. But he doesn't leave it with God's perspective. He turns around and says, but in the end, from, from what's our responsibility? Israel didn't believe in the gospel. That's why they're not saved. They should have known. They do know. They just try, they're just trying to do it a different way. And as long as they keep trying to do it a different way, they're never going to be part of God's family. And the same goes for everyone else who isn't yet one of God's adopted children. We don't need resumes. We don't need to earn salvation from God. We don't need to be good enough so we can deserve his love. He offers his love. He offers his salvation. 
all day long, and this, is, this isn't some squishy thing from some weird preacher in 2024, Isaiah 65, 2, which Paul quotes at the end of chapter 10, all day long, God says, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Where God pictures himself saying, I'm, I'm right here. The salvation, forgiveness, reconciliation, peace, belonging, peace in your heart, a sense of belonging, a sense of family, a sense of, um, a sense of purpose in life that you matter, everything that you want, everything that, you, that I made you to, to, to want and need in your life, I'm, I'm here offering it to you. Even as Israel and millions of people today continue to try and find peace through a resume, find peace through something else, God is still holding out his hands through the gospel, saying, here I am, I'm holding out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people, not people who deserve it, but to people who don't deserve it, but he's still there saying, I'm offering this message to you. I'm offering this rescue to you. And you can have it. Whoever you are, you can have it. Because just like the prophet Joel says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Help us to love you like we should. Help us to know you more. Help us to never trust in our own righteousness, our own resume, our own list of things we've done well, and our own um, achievements as a, as a vehicle to have relationship with you. But help us to trust in the righteousness that you offer us through your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.